Lord, we thank you for that living hope. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for the proof of the resurrection. We, we thank you for some of what we'll see today about the resurrection and what we already know. We thank you for the songs that we've, we've sung this morning that's reminded us of that living hope, that great hope that we have in Christ. Lord, as we look at this last of the I Am statements that we've been studying, help us to see truly that you are the resurrection and the life. And may that give us hope for each and every day, and especially give us hope in the midst of the dark times. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. We're looking at John chapter 11, and we are going to read verses 17 to 44. You can follow along here on the screens, or if you want to get out your Bibles or the Pew Bibles, and follow along with me. <clears throat> now, when Jesus came... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he die yet, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly, and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around 
that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to begin this morning with with a question. What do we do? What do we do when life is not great? And more specifically, what do we do when a loved one dies? Or when we're facing our own mortality? When I was just a boy, I had an experience that I still recall quite often. One of my uncles by marriage had, had lost his dad, uh, and he, he took it very stoically. He refused to cry. And when asked why he wouldn't cry and why he, did, why he, he didn't weep, he, he said, I'm trying to take it the way my dad would have taken it. Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say is something uh, sexist or anything like that, but in the era in which I was raised, I heard quite often, take it like a man, be tough, don't cry. When I would cry, my grandfather would often say, dry up, boy, and then he would add, or I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) Of course, he said something very similar to granddaughter, so maybe he just didn't like crying period. Or maybe he bought into another line that I often heard, big boys and big girls don't cry. But is that the way we handle the difficult stuff of life? And particularly, is that the way you and I handle death? Just take it like a woman? or Take it like a man? By the way, taking it like a man apparently didn't work for the uncle I mentioned, where I later learned he was an alcoholic. and He was merely putting on a front while drowning his sorrows in alcohol. Our final I am statement this morning is a wonderful statement. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. They're wonderful verses. But do they suggest do not grieve? Toughen up? Take it like a woman? Take it like a man? Of course not. This I am statement is wonderful. It's victorious. It's filled with hope. It is our comfort. But it doesn't mean that you and I just gloss over pain and sorrow. Rather, we respond in a uniquely Christian way. We do not grieve as those who are without hope. But I get ahead of myself. I want you to look at our text again this morning. It's filled with grief over the death of Lazarus. We see it in Martha and Mary and others. Verse 19, many people had come to console Martha and Mary. Verse 33, Mary is weeping, and so are the Jews who have come to console her. You might also note, verse 20, that Martha the doer did what many of us do when we grieve. 
She stayed busy. She couldn't wait for Jesus to come. She couldn't just sit still, so she went out to meet him. This passage is filled with grief, folks. It's filled with weeping and with mourning. Yet even in the midst of grief, Martha has a confidence that this isn't the end of the story. Yes, she, of course, had her struggles. You can hear it in the words she spoke to Jesus, verse 21. Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. She's grieving. She's longing for what might have been. But still she had hope, she says, but even now, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will answer. God will give you. There was hope, even then. And there was certainly eternal hope, for Martha declared, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha had hope, but she was normal. She grieved. And look at Jesus' reaction to the death of Lazarus. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Most know it as the shortest verse in the Bible, but it may be one of the most profound verses in all of Scripture. Think about it. Think about it. Jesus knew how this was going to turn out. He knew this would ultimately end in victory. But even knowing that, he was deeply engaged with his friends and he felt their grief. He was mourning with those who mourn. He grieved with them. He did not discount their suffering. He did not minimize their pain. He didn't tell them to get over it. He shared their pain. He wept with them. Beloved, He, he loved them. He was moved and He wept. He felt true sorrow for what had happened and what they were going through. Think about that. If Jesus, the resurrection, the life, the one who triumphed over death, grieves, then surely we need to feel free to grieve and we need to free others up to grieve as well. Yes, there's a point when grief can become unhealthy. But grief at death is normal. And it's part of a healthy recovery. We should not, quote, Take it like a man or take it like a woman. There should be a healthy time of grief. And listen, folks, at some level, you and I ought to be very uncomfortable with death for death was not a part of the original creation. Death is a reality in our time and something we all face unless Christ returns. But as Johnny Penny Legion writes, acknowledging the reality of death is not the same as being comfortable with it. Look again at Jesus' response in verse 33. When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her, they were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus was deeply moved. He was greatly troubled. 
if you're reading from the English Standard Version, as I read from this morning, you might find that there's a footnote there that says, deeply moved can be translated indignant. Jesus wasn't just saddened. He was troubled. He was indignant at Lazarus' death because he knew death wasn't as it should be. Death was his enemy. Jesus was indignant because death had been an intruder on God's good creation. God created the world very good. And Adam and Eve were free from pain and suffering and death. But then they sinned and death entered in. Death is an enemy. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, he of course responded to death with grief and he was deeply moved, he was troubled, he was indignant because things were not the way they're supposed to be. And that's why in the new heaven and the new earth, Revelation 21 verse 4, he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. There'll be no mourning, no crying, no pain. For the former things have passed away. As I told you a couple weeks ago, I've officiated at 150 memorial services or funerals in 28 years. And while I usually manage to keep it together in order to conduct the service, I too grieve. I've often done a lot of crying in the office. I'm deeply troubled. I too, at times, am indignant about it. And I think that's okay. Because death is not the way it should be. And I long for that day when death is finally defeated forever. Death will be defeated. You know that, don't you? It will be defeated. And that is why you and I can grieve as those who have hope. Yes, we grieve. Yes, we're troubled. Yes, we're outraged. Yes, sometimes we need to sit alone a while with our grief. Yes, we need to sit with others in their grief. But death is not the end of the story. As Brooks and Dunn saying, it does not end in a slow ride in a hearse, folks. We still have some battles to fight, including our own death unless Jesus returns. But the outcome of the war is sure. Death is defeated. Life awaits those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we die, yet shall we live. Let me read a portion of Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Trusting in Christ, visibly demonstrated by our baptism, we enter into the water to die to the old self and sin and to death, and we're raised a new life. And that raising a new life is new life here, and it's hope of a new life eternal. Continuing in verse 8, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. 
We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Yes, beloved, we're united with Christ in his death, but we're also united with him in his resurrection. Resurrection has already been credited to us if we trust in Christ. We do not have a naive optimism. We have resurrection hope. We have resurrection hope. Yes, again, we grieve. Yes, we're indignant. Yes, we hurt. Sometimes we're outraged at death. But we have hope. We have hope. How do we know that? How can we proclaim that so boldly? Because Jesus didn't just claim folks to be the resurrection of the life. He proved it. Verse 43 of John 11, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, and his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, what did he say? Unbind him and let him go. Let him go. And most importantly, Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Going down to verse 5. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6, Paul gives his testimony. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul's saying, my testimony is credible. If you don't believe me, there were 500 people that saw him, and most of them are still alive. If I'm lying to you, all you got to do is go talk to them. They'll tell you. What happened? It's a credible testimony. Jesus is, beloved, the resurrection and the life. He didn't just say it. He proved it. He didn't just raise Lazarus and Jairus' daughter and the widow's son and surely others, but He too was raised on the third day. So it's okay to grieve. Please don't let people tell you otherwise. It's okay to be upset. You'd be out of line with Jesus if you weren't upset. But grieve as those with hope. Believe the good news that death has been defeated. The outcome is sure. One day Jesus will say to all of us who believe in Him, unbind Him or her and let them go. 
let them enter into the place that I talk about in Revelation 21, where the dwelling place of God is with man. and He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death, and death shall be no more. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, please see our tears when we grieve. In fact, we ask you to see the tears of those who are grieving even now. And that you would come and comfort them. Grieve with them, O oh God, as you grieve with Mary and Martha and all the others who were there. And help us also to grieve with others. To sit with them a while if that's what we need to do. To be silent. To be present. To not feel like we have to have all the answers, but to be willing to grieve with them. But Lord, we thank You that we do not grieve as those without hope. We thank You that You are the resurrection and the life. We thank You that just as the tomb would not hold You, the grave will not hold those who believe in You. Thank You that if we trust in You, then our future is a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more dying, no more mourning, no more pain, no more crying. Today, Lord, we once again remember Your gracious acts in Jesus Christ. And today we take from Your creation this bread and this cup and we joyfully celebrate Christ dying and rising as we await the day of His coming. Set aside this bread and this cup, and with thanksgiving we offer our very selves to You as a living sacrifice dedicated to Your service. We ask, O oh God, that You would pour out Your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these Your gifts of, of bread and wine so that the bread we break and the cup we drink might be the communion of the body and the blood of Christ. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, now and forevermore.